0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from episode five, our interview with Tim Jobson of Predictive Health Intelligence. Plus, from The Vault, conversation 39.4 from season three, in which Louise Campbell, Ian Rowe, and I discuss some of the other frontline screening tests and systems in place in the UK in the summer of 2022, and take a look at issues surrounding the entire question of patient screening and bringing patients in. This conversation starts with the dialogue between Tim Jobson and me about how simple the data and computations in the system appear to be. I describe a benefit in terms of patient throughput and ask whether predictive health has looked at that yet. Tim agrees with my assumption, indicates that work has not been done in this area yet. Finally, he notes that this tool can help find patients for clinical research studies when and to the degree that you can identify them through blood tests and then bring them into drug trials. Jorn Schottenberg agrees that bringing patients to trials this way can be a big benefit, given that trial enrollment is slowing and not what people had hoped it would be. He also asks whether the system processes natural language. Specifically, he asks about a scrap of paper from years ago in a patient file. Tim notes that this is easy enough to execute within the system and will become more powerful as use of this tool becomes more widespread and more people just write things down on paper, use it. From here, the conversation shifts to patient reactions. Two points of note. Reactions generally, pretty much universally positive. And patients seem not to be concerned that the health system has their identified data, which is vastly different from what administrators and data champions believe and say. As the conversation winds down. I ask Jorn Schottenberg how he feels this kind of a process will align with the Clinical Care Pathways Initiative. He is spearheading with Jeff Lazarus and Jorn states it will align well, going into more detail than I'm going to here. The challenge of cost-effective screening and triage of patients who are likely to be living with fatty liver is already pivotal and will become more so over time as drugs become available, publicity ramps up, and advanced fibrosis and cirrhosis rates continue to climb all over the world. This episode explores a solution that looks straightforward to implement in places that do not have integrated patient-level electronic health data like the U.S. And the conversations cut a big idea into bite-sized pieces. So just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. It almost feels to me, speaking as naive, as if what you've done is you've taken um, an optical validity test and you've really validated it, right? If I, if I understood what you're saying, it was that if Jorn could look at the set of data that you were looking at for an individual patient, he might or you might come to the same conclusion. Your system will. It's just that you don't get to look at that much data aggregated and you don't get to look at it this often. So you've really improved the throughput speed for some pretty straightforward analysis.
1: Tim Jobson. Yeah, I
0: mean
2: we're not doing hugely complex data processing, we're certainly not applying any machine learning at this stage. Mm-hmm. I think there's potential, fascinating ways of doing that in the future, and there's huge projects that could spin off this. But you're absolutely right. The, the actual calculations done are repetitive and simple, and we've just got a computer to do them for us and do them in the background so that we can then just take a view on the data and say, show me the patients with that particular pattern.
0: Well, Which I think is fantastic. The challenge that I think the world faces is how to do exactly what you just described. We're going to be processing, in a, in a world where we have medication there are going to be, this is a technical term, boodles of patients for every hour that a hepatologist has to treat them. So the ability to get people in early and to get them processed simply and, and, and triaged not perfectly, but triaged quickly and appropriately, I mean, that's the whole logic behind FIB4. Are, are you planning to take a look at how this stacks up against a more traditional pathway approach, a, say FIB4 fiber scan or FIB4 Elf approach in terms of being able to get to the right patient or being able to get to that patient more efficiently?
2: Yes, definitely. So going forward, what, what are we going to do with this system? There are some obvious pathways where we just just get on and implement it. I think that's a fundamentally good question. Can we target? those screening interventions better using longitudinal data. Um, I think we can. We intend to study that. So I think that needs, a, that needs a more formal setup for a study, but it's an obvious way to go because probably population screening with scan would yield results. But actually, that's an awful lot of scans And so if we can target patients based on what, they, what we know already about them, I think that's going to be much better. It leaves a question about the patients who've not had blood tests and, and, and where do we go with those? Um, and should we encourage more kind of... Uh, uh, health checks mot checks as you as you go through life um, every few years have a blood test and so on which is not universal for for certainly quite a lot of groups within the in the uk so that may be part of the future as well okay. and the other thing is about recruitment for studies so yes we want to do our own studies saying uh, can we really risk identify these patients and target them for intervention and target them for for, for fibro scan or whatever but this is an extremely powerful tool for uh, finding cohorts of patients for research studies as well if you define the group that you you want, if they exist, if we can define them with blood tests, we can find them really quickly. And this will you know, ramp up recruitment to liver studies as well. That's a, that's a huge potential. So it's rather than waiting for that steady trickle of patients across multiple sites to try and, to try and recruit patients, um, it's really simple. It's a press of a button. There's a potential research cohort. We can go and talk to them. And Do do they want to be involved in a
1: study? You're in that's an obvious gain because uh, enrollment's been slow in some of these and barriers of recruitment. The other thing I, th- I was thinking of when you just mentioned, we don't always have all all the diagnostics available in all settings or maybe at all time points have you thought or looked into some sort of medical node automated processing where you can pick up on let's say identify a scribbled note of a physician that this patient has received a blood transfusion in the 80s and he's therefore at risk of having hepatitis C and this type of extraction from medical records which could need a lot of more power or also data safety protection troubles but you know not only acting on labs but also on some clinical notes that in theory could be um could that be implemented? Definitely.
2: So we've talked about that a number of ways. Like I said, this this sits in that group of things that we are thinking about for the future using more machine learning to analyze our data. Uh, The natural language processing question, I think that's fascinating. There is all sorts of potential taking this approach. You could, for example, yes, import clinical notes. You could do something more simple, import ultrasound reports. And then the question that we put to the search tool is show me all patients where there is a suspicion of fatty liver on an ultrasound scan. Simple question. We can use natural language processing to generate that we have kept our project really simple, partly because we really need to demonstrate that it works in the first round. And getting access to the data is a challenge, and we wanted to make sure that it was very focused and narrow, so we weren't spreading out, spreading the kind of, the net too wide at this stage. But yeah, another fascinating line of inquiry for for this sort of approach. And the natural language processing technology is that it will do that in the background, and then the clinician can say, "What I'm really looking for is this," and sift through half a million patients. And the intention, obviously, is we'll go work from much bigger footprint. So out to the whole of the southwest would be 5 million. Across England is 50 million. And that's the kind of footprint we need so that clinicians in their area can say, yeah, find find me those patients that fit into that group. And we have to every time we do that, design those clinical pathways. Because I think the great danger is we'll find, oh, there's several thousand patients here we need treating. What are we going to do with them? That kind of goes back to Louise's question earlier on, doesn't it? We need to know what we're going to do. Are we recruiting for research studies? Are we actually going to have capacity to intervene? Are we going to delegate that intervention back to primary care what are we going to do and I I do think kind of as an ethical doctor that's a really critical question to ask before we start generating huge cohorts that we don't know what to do with Louise Campbell I was going to say you said the patients responded very well to being called in what were their main questions Um, what information did they want just as a guide for education sort of was it I've never heard about the liver or I've always had these problems or what was their general sort of interest apart from being called in a very common question is am I drinking too much. <laughs> so, so, I guess you know we'll take a history and we'll come to conclusions about that. So the question that came was what have I done wrong have I done something bad you know because liver disease has a stigma doesn't it you know is this just alcohol and, and of course we know it's not but that is what people associate in their mind so that's a, that's a key question is there a treatment yeah and what's the treatment and, and so on and those, and those questions kind of morph into it's just a standard consultation I think initially we were just sort of heading off quite a lot of the questions we have really carefully designed our communication stuff that goes out on our, our website and the invite letter to come to clinics so that people are primed and say, this is what we're are up to complete transparency at the front we've accessed data we want to go and find people who if we don't find them now we're going to get ill in three five years time and explain that at the front i think that's been that's been hugely helpful so that kind of heads off some of the more difficult questions and i guess that the really difficult question we've not yet come across but we will is what on earth were you doing with my data before we even went started the project we got some patient and public reference group together and asked a lot of questions of that group and it's really interesting when we presented the ideas what we plan to do it's all this data and it was not oh are you really allowed to do that it was why aren't you doing that already so the commonest question that we get asked from our patient and public reference group which is a great part of the project they're still heavily involved and challenge us regularly about the direction and travel of the project and help us with all our materials and everything is you need to be doing more of this you need to be doing it faster why are you why are you taking so long <laughs> uh, is a question that we get all the time and i think that's very different from the official line which is this data is top secret. You mustn't touch it. It belongs to, you know, it doesn't belong to you. You mustn't do this, which is kind of the official
0: line. That's fascinating and not surprising, but really, really interesting, I think, about the patient reaction. I have a question for Jorn, going back to your last comment for Louise's question, which is, Jorn, how do you see this fitting into some of the work that you and Jeff and others are doing, Lazarus and others are doing right now around pathway development? Because the two thoughts i had throughout this conversation is that one, and then the question about every time we get patient advocates on here, I talk to people about why aren't they doing more to push ALT as a part of step standard test ever done for everybody and this would be another argument i think in favor of that but let's, let's stay on the pathway piece first where, where do you see this fitting in
1: i think this would be a fire starter for pathways because it will inform position and patients on the relative burden that is out there and it will enable that a physician thinks down that line and thinks around metabolic liver health and if he's not identifying them by himself he has support from an, an, an validated algorithm that he trusts he will start managing these patients actively as to and his colleagues are doing as such, I think such a tool would be very, very helpful. We had John Dillon with us last year and he dealt uh, ILFT, which, you know, I don't want to compare them directly. It's a different setup, but uh, I I think it goes down the same line. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions
0: or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section on the page from which you downloaded this conversation in your podcast distributor, or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. I'll be on holiday next week, but Louise and Yorn will be here to look at fatty liver disease in Australia. I'll be back the following week with them. So until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you every week here on the Surfing with Tsunami podcast. Bye-bye now.